Everybody, I know we've been quiet, but there have been extenuating circumstances, uh, rehearsals, performances, sickness, lots of sickness, <laughs> so lots of sickness. sickness. I'll, I'll talk over your cough. <laughs> We're still both sick. Um, I, I feel positively chipper now. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm still sick. And uh, I moved to London and got a flat and all that crazy stuff. So that's why it's been a bit quiet. And you know, day job stuff. You've oh, yeah, got a new yeah, job, which we don't need job. to go into. But yeah, you know, you're busy I mean, with that. November was weird, and December <sighs> has all, yeah. November and December have been strange. I don't know why. You, I don't know why you're in apologetic mood, Katie. Because I'm like, Canadian. Last, I can't help it. It's true. <laughs> um, that really answers my question. Um, yeah, <laughs> we uh, the, the the last one we released uh, was a month ago, and that frankly is the regular cadence. But because it we is. were generating so much uh end of summer into the new term i think uh we've sort of set we false feel expectations like to quiet. ourselves yeah 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 we have been quiet but like i said we're here now and we have we a really great episode for you to take you into christmas weekend so um ollie would you like to tell everybody who you got for us yeah uh excitingly we were speaking to the wonderful tim MacArthur, who some of our choir members who frequent Overtures will know of as one of the excellent hosts of Overtures. Um, but he does a great deal more than just that. Uh, and we had a wonderful chat with him uh, about other projects he's involved with and his sort of like career to date. And also he's a fantastic Sondheim aficionado. So personally, I, I, I lent on him to find out a little bit more about uh, the wonderful, um, the wonderful comp- composer. Uh, so yeah, it was a really great chat, and um, he's got some very exciting stuff that he's doing at the moment in the festive period. Definitely panto related, so you're going to enjoy that. And then yeah, he's got some fun stuff coming up in the new year, and uh, hopefully we'll see him at overtures and other shows as well. So yeah, without further ado, Tim MacArthur. Great. So we're very excited to have uh, Tim MacArthur joining us on the episode today. Um, and we're going to be dealing with a bit of his work uh, in musical theatre, but primarily around Sondheim, because he's in uh, his show Divas, which is coming out um, very soon. And uh, we're very excited about talking about that and learning a little bit more about Sondheim. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Now, I've met you uh, a number of times. Katie hasn't just yet. Not yet. I've met Not you yet. The, <laughs> no, I've met you in the salubrious uh, environments of overtures a number of times. Yes, glamorous, glamorous locations, Ollie, glamorous. <laughs> yes, uh, you'd expect the two of us to be there, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> and I will, too, be there soon. <laughs> so we'll make sure we're going like, when Tim's there, definitely. Yes, please. Um, a quick one on that. How did you get involved with Overtures? Because I know I've only really been going since it's moved to the Hippodrome. Um, but I think you were involved with it before uh, COVID and all the rest of it, when it used to be at Marble Arch. Yeah, when it was at Marble Arch. So Ray Rackham, who set it up, originally directed me randomly in a Sondheim musical called Assassins, Perfect. maybe 10 years ago. 
And um, so we just kept in touch. And then obviously Overtures is based on the New York singing bar, Marie's Crisis in the village in New York. Um, Ray came over and set it up. So I would just sort of find myself there sometimes on a Friday and a Saturday singing around the piano um, and I had a couple of birthday parties there as well. So it was always, it was always a great thing to go to. And especially, you know, if you love musical theatre and it's a great thing, what I love about overtures, it's not necessarily like an open mic night. It's not about people singing on their own. It's about the community and celebrating musical theatre as a community and not one person sort of taking the lead. And then when he went to overtures, Ray just said to me, would I be interested in coming and being one of the hosts? Um, so I sort of said, yeah, that'll be fun. And, you know, as the host at Overtures, again, I probably only sing two numbers a night, really. If <laughs> You know, and it's just a yeah. case of making sure that everyone has a good time and engaging with people, handling requests, you know, if there's birthdays in the house, you know, just doing that. So it's more of a facilitating role, I think, um, being a host at Overtures. But I love it, you know, it's a great place for people to come. And, you know, I, I tend to do like one, shift a month or something but it's been really nice because i've started to get to know the regulars like yourself and having chats and everyone's so friendly and people come and they communicate you know it, it's got a real essence of a community about it really with the regulars that come there absolutely um i'm very uh honored to be classed as a regular um so i will take that um <laughs> I'll, I'll take that high plaudit um but yeah no i i agree it definitely feels a nice a nice community feel where you can go as a group, as choir has done a few times, uh, which is really great. But then um, we, we've got several uh, sort of social media chats going uh, between different members and someone will say, I'm going to go to Overtures this week if anyone's around. So a little bit of a rallying cry there. But otherwise, it's a sort of place where you can go, particularly on like on a Thursday, um, and just sort of turn up and just know that you're going to have a good time singing some musical theatre songs. Yeah. And uh, sort of you'll make friends around the piano one way or the other. Absolutely. And, and what's really interesting about Thursdays, and I've, I've done a couple of Thursdays, is Thursdays t- tend to be a little bit more quieter than the, the raucous Friday and especially the outrageous Saturday evenings that can sometimes <laughs> happen in there. And so Thursdays, you know, we, you might have, you know, the, the, the musical director might play something that, that is maybe not as commercial as mm-hmm. what you would expect to be played on a Friday and Saturday, which I really like as well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's more, you know, you can get to chat to people a little bit more rather than sort of managing the, the crowds as well. <laughs> yeah, sort of slightly increasingly cacophonous um, crowd, definitely. Yeah, I've been on a Thursday and it's really nice because there's a little bit of Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, maybe even some sort of Bernstein and, uh, and and Sondheim as well. So absolutely, I guess that could potentially link us quite neatly into uh, yeah. into our chat. We, um, we decided that it would be good to talk to a few people who um, are sort of Sondheim aficionados um, or particularly sort of lovers of his work, given that it's a year since um, he sadly, uh, sadly passed. But mm. I obviously got to know you through Overtures, but um, we were speaking about your show Divas earlier on in the year as well. And I just kind of wanted to sort of tap into a little bit about like your career to date and then how you sort of surmised to get to uh, where this show is and um, how choir can come and support you as well. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, it, it's been it's been quite an interesting journey, really. And so, I many years ago, in I think it was about oh, I don't know about nineteen ninety something or other. <laughs> I think it was That's about ninety seven. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm quite old. I've had no botox, but it, you know, it's all real. 
It's um, it's all good. We're, you're with some of the uh, the members of choir who will be able to appreciate 1997. So you're <laughs> you're in good company. Don't worry. Yeah, and um, I luckily when I left Mountview, I I worked quite a lot actually. I was very lucky, and I did quite a lot of rep jobs one after the other, which was amazing. And um, and then in '97. Um, I had a few jobs that for some reason got cancelled and I didn't really work much. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I thought, I know what, I'm going to hide the Canal Cafe Theory in, in Little Venice. And I'll just do like 40 minutes, 45 minutes of me singing songs to show different styles of singing. Little chat with the audience to invite casting directors to come and to come and see me. And then that was the first time I sort of did cabaret work. Then I sort of found a niche and people going, oh, you should do that again. And so since then, I you know did a lot of one-man shows and still working as an actor in musicals. And then the Sondheim Society approached me and they wanted to do um, monthly evenings celebrating the work of Stephen Sondheim and asked me if I would be the host and book the other three performers on the bill. So we did one night a month at the Phoenix Artist Club and we did this for about three years and it, it was amazing. And the, and the thing, the idea of the show was that we would have to do 50% Sondheim songs and then the other 50% could be other composers new writing but that was the premise it was no sundime so having done these for for three years every night every month um i started running out of sundime songs to sing myself you know because obviously they would come back everyone come back on a monthly basis and i think one night i said to aaron Klingham, who i've worked with a lot as a musical director um when i directed shows that we've done together and i said to him one night i'm going to do in buddy's eyes from follies just because it's a beautiful song and it, it fitted really nicely in my in my range. Anyway, so we performed it on stage. And then I just said to Aaron in front of the audience, I said, I think, Aaron Klingham, we should do a show where I sing some of the leading lady songs from Sundown musicals, but with a with a, a masculine interpretation or a male voice mm. singing them. And that's how Sundown Divas was born, really. Um, and then we sort of went through some interesting, you know, choices. And the show originally when we first did it was 50 minutes where now we've, it's now like a 90 minute show with two halves now with it's some of my favorite, I think leading lady songs and some of the most complicated songs that I don't know why I do every time we start the show. I'm like, why have I picked this song to sing? Because it's so complicated. And, you know, as a performer, I'm sure you all know that, you know, nerves, you know, nerves always happen when you perform, you know, there's, there's no matter what you do, as a performer, you will always get nervous. So the, the opening number is Sunday in the Park with George, oh which God. is one of the wordiest <laughs> songs ever mm. in the world. And it's quite a long song as well. So, you know, when we sat down and did the set list, I didn't make my life very easier, you know? So, um, yeah. and you always go like, oh, what is it? A, a, a trickle of sweat, a trickle of sweat, a trickle of sweat, a trickle of sweat. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just to get me going. And it's just, it's just you know, like you know, performing words, lyrics, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of, I come from an old school sort of way of looking at it as well. I know now a lot of performers will have sometimes their words in a folder on the, on the music stand. Well, I'm too old school because I always just think that's a little bit cheating. I think if you, if people are paying 20, 20 pounds, 25 pounds to come and see you, then I think you should at least know your words. Sometimes you make yeah. them up. That's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm old school where I just think, Oh no, come on. We pay to come and see you. Please don't be looking at your folder. Absolutely. That's just me. <laughs> well, I think if you're doing that with Sondheim, then uh, even better, just because there are quite so many words. The idea of um, sort of doing that gender swap or um, 
for the show, Katie and I were talking about this just the other day. Um, we both went to see Company in 2019. Yeah. Uh, we, we, and it was a fantastic uh, portrayal um, of sort of the Bobby, obviously being a different gender, and then how that relays into the interpretation of the show. Mm. Um, did you manage to go and see that? When it I was did, yeah. yeah. I did, yeah. I saw it twice. And I loved it because, again, it was just, in a way, it it was just such a simple thing to do. And yet once I can imagine, once they started it, it just sort of, you could just see it grew where all the ideas then changed and what dynamics that changed within the relationships. And, you know, it, it's that thing, isn't it, where, and that's what I think Sondheim is great about, is about capturing real life situations and real life emotions and real life relationships of and personal circumstances of people. Because, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what gender you are, you can all experience loneliness. You know, I've got friends, female friends, who are in their 40s who are still single. I've got male friends, both gay and straight, who are in their 40s and 50s who are single. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think there's, there isn't any difference. So I think as a as a piece of theatre, it works really well on, on both both perspectives. Katie and I were both turning 35, funnily enough, um, in it was, and it was, it very was close momentous. To it was, <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah, taking my birthday for it. And I was just sitting there going, huh, is this, is this a test? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely um, kind of hard to watch, but I loved yeah. it. I adored it. And I mean, I just, I just said yes to a friend. So I didn't even really, I didn't even look mm. into what I was going to see. I just knew it was company. And I know that I love Sondheim from my experience with Sondheim musicals. Um, but I didn't realize Patti Lapone was in it. I only realized fairly recently even that um, Bobby yeah. was meant to be a man. And I was just like, what? It, uh, huh? Um, yeah, it was just such a brilliant production. And the fact that you can love something so much when it makes you uncomfortable. Yes. And, that, and yeah, and I think that's a great testament to Sondheim's work because Completely. his work is is not about it's not ha- I say it's not happy it's not it's about you know he it's like he holds a mirror up to yes. to society and mm-hmm. and our reflections and what and I think that's why it's it's quite interesting as well because having you know performed even Divas is I think it's about five years old now the show as a whole. And what I love about Sondheim's work is, and when I first listened to his work and first did his shows, you know, over 20 years ago, there was elements of it that I'd sort of go, oh, that that's what that means. And then 10 years later, I'll look at a lyric of his song and I'll go, oh, no, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's really interesting about it as your own life experiences change. That's why his work becomes even more relatable in lots of ways. You know, I mean, there's there's a great song from Follies called Could I Leave You, you know, and I've been lucky I've been with my partner for 14 years. But there's elements of that song that as I sing it, I go, oh, yeah, I know what that bit means now. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's not a bad thing, but that's that's just life. And that's why he's so amazing, because he just captures these moments that we all experience in our own journeys, which I think is therefore so much more relatable when you go see the theatre. And as you said, you know, Katie, it's, it's sometimes it's not necessarily sometimes a pleasurable experience. But for me, I think theatre that makes you think, that's what theatre is about. That challenges you, that questions you. That's what theatre is all about. Yeah, I'd rather be uncomfortable watching something than not because it just means that it means something to you. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, 
Dear Evan Hansen broke me the first time I watched it, but I went again with Ollie recently to make sure I saw it again. Um, and it broke me in different ways, but like, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's really interesting with Dear Evan Hansen as well, because I think Dear Evan Hansen, when it, I saw it on Broadway with Ben Platt and I really, really enjoyed it. And I think it was one of those musicals that happened in the right time in society for when mental health awareness was, was happening. Mm. However, when I saw it in London, it didn't affect me the same way as it did a couple of years before that. And I don't know why that was. Um, And that's not anything to do with performers. I just felt a little bit disconnected from it the second time around. And I'm I'm still, I don't really know what that was, but then there was elements of it the second time around, like the relationship with his mom, which affected me more than it did the first time around. Same. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but then again, you know, we all, we all, we all have our, different um opinions on something and again it was not it wasn't the production because it was the same really production from the states that they just i don't know if they did many tweaks with it in london but it didn't it didn't seem so and i also stood at the back when i saw it in broadway we got like standing tickets so you know i was standing where in london i was sat down comfortable (laughs) Mm. but i mean you've changed in between both yeah yeah viewings of the show right so Therefore, you will react differently to yeah, art completely. in any form once you've changed. So when you come back to something later in life, uh, like Guys and Dolls, I love that show. I did it in high school. Um, I saw I saw it when Ewan McGregor was in it ages ago. Um, and then I saw it with Rebel Wilson at the Phoenix. Um, again, this is actually quite a few years ago now, but more recently. And I got uncomfortable with Guys and Dolls because when I watched it the last time, I was like, wait, the girls are talking about marry, tricking the guys into marrying them and then they'll change their lives completely. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't like this. <laughs> like, no, I still love the show, but like, I was just like, what? <laughs> How did I miss that yeah. the first two times? Yeah. And I think also, you know, it's like as, as times change and, you know, society changes and what is acceptable I think that also affects, you know, how some uh, a piece of theatre can feel a little bit outdated or can feel, you know, um, racist or sexist or, you know, there's lots of elements where as as we change and our society moves, you know, our our um, appreciation and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tolerance of certain issues in musicals changes. Yeah. That was deep, wasn't it? Yeah, no, yes. we're doing really well. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're only a few Tuesday minutes Tuesday lunchtime. But, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I was just going to say, I went to see South Pacific, I guess it must have been August now, and um, it was really interesting because I enjoyed it and I I really enjoyed uh, Julian Ovenden, um in the role of Emile. Um, and I felt it was really well put together. Um, it's kind of a an interesting story that, you know, first came out in, I guess, 1948, 49, something like that. And I think in a way I went with it with a little bit of a understanding of that mm. and a different time and a different story. And ultimately, you know, the, the, the arc of the narrative has a few wobbles in it as you get to the, you know, the happy ending as it were. I went to see it with a friend of mine, uh, in choir and, um, She's black, and I think there were some sort of racial tones mm. in the show that we spoke about, and it's really quite informative having that chat with her. Um, but I also spoke to a few friends who were younger, sort of like in their early 20s, and they all of them found that they didn't actually enjoy the show that much, and they found it a little bit, a little bit troubling. And it was just fascinating sort of seeing that sort of 
mm. mini generational gap between sort of like upper thirties to the lower twenties and what is deemed acceptable or um sort of turning a blind eye to or as you say sort of perceptions of of the piece so mm. um yeah i think it's definitely a tricky one but that's why you know rogers and hammerstein uh were so revolutionary when they started writing because they changed the concept of 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 the american musical theater world you know like with south mm. pacific war you know um racism uh oklahoma the king and i as well to a certain extent and um carousel you know which is quite an abusive relationship as well yeah, do you know what i mean exactly. so and they they broke quite a lot of boundaries when they when they released their their work so yeah i found that, myself defending um sort of my perception of it and kind of sort of at least putting forward my idea that yes there there is obviously racial tension here and there's also sort of a an unhealthy um relationship between the main characters at points but you know at least that's being covered in the production mm. um, and they haven't shied away from it and uh, i think they i think they dealt with it quite quite well but um yeah it's uh it's Tuesday afternoon and I think we're going down a very interesting uh, path and, of uh, deep analysis. <laughs> and also not forgetting, of course, the sound of music. Yes. Nazis and nuns. I mean, Nazis yeah. and nuns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> Do we bring up Sister Mary McCarthy yet or should we leave, leave her for later? Oh, uh, she's not. She's just outside uh, okay, sucking great. on a pear drop at the minute, I think. I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Where did you first come across Sondheim? Was it uh, something in your childhood or when you were studying? So it was, so my brother um, wanted to be an actor originally and then he went into costume and he moved to London and went to Central School. So me and my mum would come down and visit him and we'd always go to Tower Records and Piccadilly Circus. I don't know if you, I think you're both too young to remember Tower Records no, in London. I, I know of it, definitely. I know of it. <laughs> It was right on the corner of Piccadilly Circus and they had a, an amazing uh, musical theatre section. And I'd go in there and I'd buy LPs, which are records, which are black thing, things that you put on a turn. A the circling thing things, that yeah. A circling thing that, that plays, <laughs> you know. So I collected loads of these and we went in one and they, I saw Follies, this LP, and I looked at it. And um, my mum said, oh, that looks quite good. I think that's on at the minute. So we went to the Shaftesbury Theatre uh, May the 4th, 1988, I remember it, because I used to collect all the theatre stub tickets in a scrapbook. Um, and so we, that was my first Sondheim musical was Follies. And um, and obviously the story of Follies, it's all these old showgirls reuniting for a reunion in an old theatre. Anyway, they had all this scaffolding around the Pross Arch. And my mum turned to me and said, here, you think they would have done this theatre up before they put this show on? Not realising, of course, that <laughs> yeah. that was the sort of... <laughs> the vibe that and that, and that, was, that was my first sort of experience of, of Sondheim was Follies, and then I bought the LP. And then in, I think it was 1990, my brother's flatmate, David Lamb, who's now a company manager on Mamma Mia, was working on Sunday in the Park with George at the National. And he just got me tickets to go and see it. So I went to see it and I loved it. And then in that September, he was company manager on Into the Woods at the Phoenix Theatre. And I came down and saw that. And then he, um, the next time I came down, he um, took me backstage and I put the beads at Milky White's bum because um, the, the cow pooed on the stage. So they had all these like Christmas beads and thing attached to each other when he did a poo. Um, 
And then Christmas 1990, he got me this amazing um, signed poster of all the cast from Into the Woods that have all signed it. And Imelda Staunton, I've got her signature, and it says, Dear T- Tim, good luck with the acting, Imelda. Oh, wow. And I have it, I still have it on my wall now. I'm, I can just see it at the corner to my left. That's and, amazing. Um, yeah, and that was it. And then I saw the last night of Into the Woods at the Phoenix Theatre as well in, in 1991, February the 23rd, I think it was. And that that was my, that was that was it. That just started. Then I just became a Sondheim fanatic. You know, I was always listening to Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George, um, Sweeney. Yeah, so that's how it all really began. And then, you know, then being able to do, I did Company as an actor, Into the Woods as an actor, Assassins, I've directed Sweeney, A Little Night Music, uh, The Frogs, Into the Woods. So it, it's been a, You're Gonna Live Tomorrow, I was in that as well, the review, Sondheim Review. Yeah, so it, it's been sort of a, quite a, a, a strong part of my career and I absolutely, you know, I love it as, a, as an actor and as a director. Yeah, and I thought it would be uh, good getting you on, um, but yeah, it's sort of been uh, vindicated by uh, by that lineup, certainly. And and also, you know, just doing the Sundam Diva show as well is just a uh, yeah. It's 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 one in. I've done a lot of one man shows over the year with different themes, but doing Sundam Divas is, I think, one of the most hardest of all the one man shows that I've put together because just the complexity of the of the work you know and and the lyrics and the text and and getting the meaning of the song and and what is the meaning of the song and and making sure that every consonant every vowel every thought change is clear within the song because there is so much detail within the work it seems to be that he's got songs that are almost best played by true actors even if they were just spoken um, yeah it would work even if you don't have the sort of the, the the melody going with it so Sending the Clowns by Judy Dench, for example, was mm. incredibly impactful. Um, Hannah Waddingham is fantastic at Sondheim as well, um, just the way that she delivers certain lines. And it's all about, for me, the, the expression or the feel, and it can alter potentially night to night that you might be doing a show. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're really, you know, they're really joyous. I mean, I did a production of Into the Woods a couple of years ago and I played the baker. And um, it was quite interesting because the baker in, in Act One of Into the Woods, obviously, you know, he's trying to be the man, trying to sort everything out, get what they need so they can have a child. And it because the rest of the characters in the woods are so strong and so defined that I deliberately sort of chose not to have much of a presence, if that makes sense. I was just, as the character choice, I was just there doing the job of getting the wish, getting getting the baby, getting the objects. And and then Act 2, of course, that's when the baker really, so the role comes into its own because he goes through all the situation. You know, his wife gets killed. He uh, goes internal and thinks about the loss of his dad, thinks about being a bad parent. You know, no one's going to listen. You know, what is the point in life? Um, and then again, towards the end, it, it turns around. I, what I love most about Into the Woods, I think, is, um, well, besides Bernadette Peters singing Last Midnight, um, is how half of it is after Happily Ever After. Like, the show ends at the end, at the interval, but then Sondheim went, nah, let's focus on what comes after that, because yeah, that's yeah. more interesting. Um, yeah. It's just fabulous, because, I mean, you have Cinderella married to the prince, but that goes horribly wrong, yeah. for instance. Um, yeah, yeah. 
just yeah and I, you know I know sometimes when I've done it people have left in the interval thinking it was the end of act one or thinking it was the end of the show yeah <laughs> you know yeah. A, a radio producer I was working for came to see it when we did it and she left and she sent me a message going I really loved it it was great and I went I didn't see it at the end she went oh well we she said was it another act I went yeah yeah you missed the you missed the best bit <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness Excellent. you know Missed the best bit. It was it was really interesting as well because, um, and it, I don't know if it was proven or anything, but there was sort of quite a bit of speculation that Sondheim, when he wrote it, was quite connected to the the um, AIDS pandemic as well. Within this, within Act Two, that actually, you know, it was symbolic of what was happening um, at that time as well in the eighties, which I think is a really interesting definition of of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then that obviously it's alarm bells are going off in my head going, Jonathan Larson, Jonathan Larson. (laughs) Um, Because yeah, that connects to Jonathan Larson and Tick, Tick, Boom. And yeah. And how Sondheim is actually a character in um, Tick, Tick, Boom. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, I never saw um, I never saw Tick Tick Boom when it was on, when it's been on on the stage, but actually I saw it when they did it for Netflix. Yeah, same. And it, I, I I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I loved it, but I had no. Yeah. I had, but I had to, no. Yeah, no experience. I had like of a it. couple of the couple of the songs, and I was thought oh, I wasn't really that keen on it, but I really really loved it. I thought it yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. When they sing Sunday in the in the diner, oh my god! Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so it's so brilliant. And if you haven't watched it yet, um, Ollie, <clears throat> you you need to. <laughs> yeah, and this this. Isn't it interesting? It's funny that you mentioned Sunday when they sang Sunday in the in the diner. There is something about that song from Sunday in the Park with George mm. that I don't know what it is. Whether it's the the combination of the 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 melody line or the chords, but whenever whenever I hear it, I either cry or get goosebumps and cry. Goosebumps, cry, or goosebumps and cry. There's the options, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. It's really interesting, depending on on my mood as yeah. well. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful song. I'm so sad that um, Sunday in the Park with George didn't happen on the West End in 2020 for obvious reasons, because I was going to go see it. Um, so I hope that comes over here at some it, point. It was, it was a stunning production. Yeah, I really want to see it. So hopefully, I mean, it, it it cost me my bestie a fortune to see it on Broadway, but it was worth every penny. Um, and also the top of Act Two, the 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 art thing they do, I've never seen anything like it, and it was just that moment was just completely sensational. What they did, oh, okay, musical theater powers that be, make it happen, bring it back, make bring it, it happen, to London. make it happen. I know. <laughs> Let's I manifest know. this. <laughs> Katie, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm-hmm. We're quite lucky with uh, Western Musical Choir that we do work with a lot of very good MDs who are in in the West End um, already, or they're they're progressing up through the ranks. Um, at the moment, we've got people involved with Lion King, uh, with uh, Rock of Ages, with Bad Out of Hell, Bad Cinderella, um, all that kind of stuff. But we've been very fortunate to work with Tim Jackson, who mm. is working in New York at the moment. Do you want to continue the story? Because you're better better equipped than I am. 
uh, yeah, he's he's working on Merrily We Roll Along uh, wow. with, with Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, my goodness. Um, I actually Merrily We Roll Along is one that I haven't seen yet, so I don't know very much about it. But the yeah, I mean, it. How cool is it that we get to talk to such amazing people who have been involved with all of these things, and especially you, Tim. <laughs> bless you, bless you, pay later. And that production of Merrily. <laughs> was was amazing as well that marie freeman did i didn't see it at the chocolate factory but i saw it at the harold pinter theater mm. and i interviewed her actually um about uh the concert version of witches of eastwick and we asked i asked her a question about you know is it going to be the same she said well it, it, in theory it's going to be the same production but she said obviously you know that was over t- nearly 10 years ago so there's there's elements of now that they want to change but i think and please don't tell anyone. I know no one's listening to this, but she did say <laughs> that um, she did say that um, it will be coming back to London. Yay! Excellent. Well, Whether we're Daniel Radcliffe or not, but <gasps> can you imagine? Plan, I think. I think if it goes well, I think it'll come back mm-hmm. to London. Yeah, with him in it, definitely. Yeah, that was a good job that no epic. one's actually listening to this. Otherwise, Nobody's that's an exclusive listening. bit of content. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exclusive. Yeah, who knew that? Yeah, it's almost as well kept a secret as uh, maybe Bonnie and Clyde coming back to the West End, but that uh, may may be a- a- anachronistic um, by the time this comes out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say uh, we sort of touched upon the whole fact that the show didn't come across um, in 2020 in the end properly. Um, how was the pandemic for you? Um, you know, in your line of work, um, I mean, we've spoken about yeah, impacting musical theatre in, in general. We've also spoken about it in terms of mental health and that sort of thing in other episodes. Um, yeah, how was sort of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one for you? Um, sort of getting through it. Um, is it you can you can cover it if you want to or not? I just thought. It'd be yeah, no, I think that. it's the first. I mean, the first. I mean, to be honest, all the lockdowns. I'm just like, which one? Which one was that? And I can't remember what, now. <laughs> what year was that? And oh my! And when you, it's funny, isn't it? When you look back and you think, oh my god, we were locked away for such a long time yeah that it it just seems when i don't know about youtube but when i think about it now it just seems like the most absurd thing that's ever happened it just felt like someone just like went and it's like a tape recorder now those of you tape recorders cassettes you put them (laughs) in their little things go around little wheels put them in the machine you press play more circular things after vinyl before cds yeah 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 we're there um you know it and it just felt like someone just went pause I mean, the, the first one, randomly, uh, which was March, wasn't it? End of March. Yeah. I Just before that period, I had a blood clot um, mm. on my leg, uh, a superficial blood clot, which, you know, was was not life-threatening, but could have been. Mm. And um, I uh, realised that, you know, I was a bit overweight. Um, so they put me on blood thinners for three months. And we have had... Uh, a towel rail in my room, which underneath the towel actually was an exercise bike. Who knew? Um, <laughs> so crazy. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy. Very, very ergonomically positioned there, like that. <laughs> um, so, I'm sorry. What's, um, a, what's an exercise bike? It's, it's like it's, a CD. There's two yeah. CDs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's two CDs, and you you can actually sit on this one. Um, wow. So because we were locked down and obviously not going out, and because the fear of getting COVID and and I actually think now the blood clot actually was a part of COVID because mm. they said some people were having blood clots with COVID. Um, so anyway, I just discovered 
the exercise bike. So I started exercising. So I just built myself up every day. So even now to this day, I broke the elder one. We had to buy a new one last year, but now I do 60 minutes on the bike every day before I start my day. Brilliant. Amazing. And I think if we maybe hadn't had the pandemic, that might probably wouldn't have happened. And I did it really as well as because obviously everything stopped and my work stopped and I wasn't working. And I just remember thinking, if I do nothing today, then at least I can say I've done half an hour on the bike or 45 minutes on the bike. Yeah. Um, and that really, really helped um, my mental health, really, and just the attitude of that. And, you know, I did sort of um, – I did quite a lot of writing. Um, I did some online stuff, but not really a lot because I just sort of – it just wasn't the same. Mm. It just didn't feel the same, and I tried to get into it. And I couldn't. So I just, in the end, I just sort of gave up on on doing any online contact really because I just didn't. It just, it just didn't bring the joy that I was used to. Um, and then the second one, I think it was, was was really hard. Uh, the December one, which yeah. was twenty twenty, was that twenty two? Yes, yeah, it was yeah. twenty twenty going into twenty one uh, when we sort of had a little bit of tasting of vague normality vague freedom sort of a, yeah in summer and then it suddenly kept on getting progressively worse yeah and that was hard because i was programming artists at the stag um i was doing a christmas show at the cockpit called the perfect christmas that i was in and then i'd also directed the royal Vauxhall tavern christmas panto and when everything shut down that was horrific me having to cancel artists that couldn't do their show I had to go to the cockpit on the Monday morning and take the set down, which was four large white Christmas trees covered in a hundred baubles each and pack everything away. And then also, you know, all my lovely actors in the LVT Panto being distraught because they couldn't finish the job. And that one, that those four months before mm-hmm. things reopened in the April, that was really tough. Just because I think we, again, we'd had that taste of some sort of sense of normality and then everything just stopping. And I, and I've spoken to a lot of friends actually, and a lot of people I think struggled with that one more than anything. And I think that one probably was the one that really, we lost a lot of people in the industry who decided that they just could not do any more financially, you know, amazing backstage stuff that I've worked with other performers that just went, they can't do the business and they just had to go home and live with their parents as a, 40 year old person going back home you know uh, and that I think that one was the, the worst one really that period yeah I'd say similar for me um just in terms of the way it was messing with your head and I was quite fortunate to be in employment at that time um not in terms of doing anything musical but um I had that stability as it were um but I think yeah as you said that was a that was a breaking point for a lot of people and obviously the we'll we try to keep it free of politics um on the podcast but it definitely wasn't helping when the message was to just you know retrain do something else you know there's no there's no good coming from from performing arts obviously and uh, we've spoken to other people uh quite recently about the fact that it there are so many things that you learn through performance through working in a theater mm. working uh, in the creative arts that improve you as a person away from that as well in everyday mm. life so very poor messaging 
yeah and it was and it was shortly after that time that the um the government uh announced that they would stop funding for any schools or colleges that mm. promoted performing arts or had drama or music on their syllabus on the GCSE level as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, okay. so it, it, it means that you can only study um, performing arts um, on a Saturday. Yeah. Or, you know, or... Yeah, if schools want to do it, then they lose a certain amount of funding for their schools, which I think is absolutely disgusting. I know it got political there, but you know, um, it's important. I just, I just yeah. don't understand why they just don't acknowledge just how important um, being creative is, and yeah. what whether you decide to go into uh, theatre. It's not about that. No. It gives it gives you confidence. It makes you. Um, understand relationships build relationships with people communication that's what it's all about it makes you be able to speak in public you know those it's not it's it it doesn't matter whether children go into the theatre or not it's an p- important part of the process of growing up exactly I think Katie you're quite close to the whole performance performance in a in education it's yes um, yeah, I mean, I grew up with choir as a class, uh, which I've said yeah. many times before. I, you know, it, when I first went to the American school in The Hague, um, I was 10 and I had a, we had art center. So I had, you know, a quarter of home ec, a quarter mm. of technology, a quarter of art, and a quarter of uh, drama. And it was, I got cast as Snow White in our play that we'd written together as a group. Um, and I was just amazing. I still remember, you know, one of my lines because it's hilarious. Oh, goody, 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 gumdrops. I just love Girl Scout cookies because that's what the evil queen was selling me, Mm. not, not apples (laughs) or anything. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be me without that. It, it, It meant that I could in 2019 stand up in front of a crowd of a I mean it's not that large crowd but you know 120 of my colleagues that I didn't really know and and MC the, a conference that I'd put together mm. and not be nervous after the first few minutes um it means that I can stand up on a stage on my own if I have to um I'd prefer to, there to be other people there but I can do it mm. um yeah I, I just I can't fathom not having that well, uh, Katie, do you think you could go and actually speak to Rishi and try and um, give him a bit I mean, of presentation in yeah. his, instead of looking like a robobot? <laughs> or, I mean, his speech, I know we're getting pleased, but his speech, the end of that speech he makes when he just stands there, and I've never seen an expression like it in my life, how he, the last, I urge you, if you've not watched the video mm-hmm. of Rishi's first speech, watch it just for the ending, because there's something really surreal about it. God, what is it with politicians who have they have no ability to like actually speak like a human and have normal mm. facial expressions and <laughs> not be a buffoon? Yeah. I think I think that's you know I really feel like just you know emailing him and going look, Rishi, yeah. I'm yeah. offering you a discount rate. I'm offering yes. you a discount rate. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean arts and education is something that if. If I could do anything, uh, so money was no object, I would go and make sure that kids had access to arts in their education because it's vital. I mean, my best friend 
she's a scientist. She has a PhD in microbiology, but the thing that makes her so successful in her career is the fact that she had the same upbringing that I did, had arts in her education. She studied German um, literature at university as well. So she is, she's an artist as well as a scientist and Mm. that makes her a bloody unicorn um, because yeah. I think, you know, and also, you know, it's what I mentioned before about losing some people. And I know, I think I know five performers who have quit the business and are now all teachers and at the same point, I find that very sad. But then at the, at the same time, I, I, you know, I've said to them all, I said, oh, my God, your students are going to have mm-hmm. such an amazing time with you as, as you being their teacher because you will bring them joy and creativity. Obviously, you'll do the serious stuff like maths and all that nonsense. But, you know, they will have so much fun and they will learn to have a personality. Yeah, definitely. You know, because of, of how they are. And I've seen some of them, uh, you know, how they they've sent me little stuff, you know, videos of them teaching and that you just think, Oh my God, I would love you to be my teacher. I'll go back to school just so you can be my teacher. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing. It just teaches you so many great things. And then even breaking it down into terms that a, a politician might understand the West end and British film, you know, are some of the biggest generators of income <laughs> for, for the country, if, if nothing else. But I think yeah. that that should always be secondary to the creative output, the sort of ability to, shape a person shape a community yeah. so and also yeah. financially and it's something that i just do never ever understand with that is that theater arts and culture bring more money into the country than sport mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. never understand why there is so much emphasis on sport and yet theater arts and culture are just brushed aside and you know and it's not just the government it's the media you know, yeah. all right, you see interviews with people, you know, on the settees, whatever, on breakfast TV shows on either channel, but there isn't that same like, oh, so tonight we're going to show like, you know, the concert version of Les Mis for three hours on BBC Two. Yeah, and BBC Four is a particular favourite channel of mine and that's been been cut terribly. Um, yeah, and it's just the idea of being able to to watch that in a sort of, uh, subsidized way or an available available way because you know you what with all the um, issues about uh, disposable income at the moment you know you mm. having a sky subscription so you can get sky art so you can watch potentially something like that again it's um exclusionary um mm. so yeah but also you think about acting and you think mm. you know like everyone went through the pandemic everyone was home so what do people do they subscribe to netflix to sky do you know what I mean they watched yeah. they watched actors they exactly. watched do you know what I mean? You go, mm. what do you not? <laughs> what yeah. can't you see? <laughs> what can't you see about why is, you know, important, not just financially, but also for mental health, for people, for escapism. That's what theatre is about. We go there, it's storytelling, you know, and that's what, when you're growing up as a kid, that's what you're read. You're read stories, if your parents are looking enough to read to you, or do you know what I mean? But that's what it's all about. It's escapism. It's to to take our mind away from whatever hassles we have going on in our lives that we spend those two hours in a dark box and we go and we get entertained and we go away to another land, to someone else's life. Exactly. I, um, I brought up 
The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot in a recent episode, and I promised myself I wouldn't do it again. Mind blown. Um, but it is about that escapism. So I'm going to take us away from uh, what we're talking about here, even though it's <laughs> fascinating. I'm just worried that we're, we're all kind of of a similar mind and we're going to go on a rant. Um, yeah. <laughs> I never me. rant. No, yeah. well, just check, just check my Twitter feed for that. <laughs> why, why did I book you on here then? I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> why did you book me? <laughs> Um, I want to ask in terms of escapism, which uh, which Sondheim shows, um, do you sort of find that you can watch over and over again? Escapism for me, I think, is I like to watch things that are probably not connected with with my industry. So I'm a massive so because I've, I've, I've you know I do my exercise every morning, sixty minutes. So I will watch absolute nonsense really to escape on a morning. So. <laughs> I've just watched this movie, the 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 good and evil school or something. Yeah. I'm like a t- I'm like a teenage girl when it comes to it. I love my vampires. <laughs> oh, me too. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big fan of the whole moon like what's it called? Now? Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> that one. There we go. I mean, I've watched them all, but <laughs> I knew it was going to be you know, Twilight. Even vampires and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm I'm sort of for my escapism, it's probably something that's not connected with 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 what I do really um yeah anything vampire based fluff, fluffy nonsense not big sci-fi person but I like stuff like lock and key a bit more supernatural stuff probably is, is my escapism and We're then I find that you didn't even know it by the way <laughs> oh really yeah yes. I mean I mean some of them are dreadful uh, yeah, but that's but... you know mm. yeah <laughs> but sometimes I'll, I'll have a heated debate with my other half because you know I'll get in from you know, rehearsals are having like a 14 hour day and I'll just sit and I'll just be like, put naked attraction on. And he goes, what are we watching this for? I said, because it's hilarious. And I just want something <laughs> that will just wash over me that I don't have to think about. Mm. That um, is just, you know, and I find because, you know, because I do quite a lot of different things. Sometimes it is very, you know, uh, on a day-to-day basis, what, what hat I'm wearing changes a lot. So I just have to make sure now as I've got older that I've, I've learned to give myself time when I go, this is a Tim day where I'm not going to do anything theatrical. Mm. Um, you know, recently I've been enormously busy with lots of things, which is, which is amazing, but I'm coming to the end now where I'm going like, right. Tim time is coming soon. Tim time is coming soon. Um, and that is a really, you know, I can't wait. <laughs> So what what have you got going on at the moment? Um, I think we were going to try and do this of an evening, but you're quite busy with rehearsals. Yeah, so we've so I've just opened a play about Benjamin Britten mm. called "The Turning of the Screw" about his relationship with David Hemmings, who was a twelve year old chorister who got the part of Miles in his operetta "The Turning of the Screw," mm. um, and that has been a really um, it's been a new piece of writing. It's part of ATG's new writing season at the Wimbledon Theatre. Um, we had two weeks. Uh, to be honest, the play wasn't ready before we went into rehearsals. Mm-hmm. So we, as a as a team, um, we've sort of got it where it is, and it, and it's now, yeah, it's good. It's good, but it's probably been one of the most challenging and creative processes I've done for a long time, and it's a serious play um, as well to put to put on top of that you know and 
yeah so that's been fascinating and then just lots of gigs as well um singing and hosting and i had my first drag gig at the dorchester last weekend which i've never done drag before and that was a really interesting thing didn't really have to do much but they paid me very well so boom here's a flight to spain um (laughs) (laughs) do do you know what i mean it's like it's yeah it's been a very um it's been a very uh rich and rewarding couple of months and i was working in the states um and doing a couple of cabaret gigs in chicago um sister mary now has an american producer which is really exciting um so we've got a couple of things lined up potentially maybe i'll be well for next year so it's all it's all going very well but um you know very uh yeah exciting and uh who knows who knows what might happen it's good it's all good there's lots of uh nice options as well have you got any panto coming up we've got quite a few of our endings in the panto season yeah so i've got the i'm directing the role of oxhall tavern's dirty adult panto which i think the western musical choir should come and see what are the dates for that it opens november the yep (laughs) november i think the 26th of november and it plays through to january and it is a hoot it's um it's my 10th year of directing it and i love the rbt um and yeah it's just really silly um even though it's an adult panto there's not a lot of swearing in it but i i direct it like a traditional panto mm-hmm. but it's just got more adult themes running it so we're doing i think it's this year it's it's cracked which is snow white uh we're not allowed to have seven you know characters yeah, seven of them. um <clears throat> so we've got one actress playing all of them uh <laughs> <laughs> that must be Excellent. amazing <laughs> yeah, at different times. The script written by uh, uh, Paul Joseph and Tim Benzie is hilarious this year. So we, I've got that, and then that opens, and then I go to Hastings to do to play Nana Pastry in Sleep... No, not Sleeping Beauty. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> There's some beauty in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, it's my fifth year working at the White Rock in Hastings, and I love it. And I've... It's only a four-week job. My apartment overlooks the sea, so I can walk to work every morning and look at the sea, which is really calming. Even when it's really crashing against the wall, you know, it's still mm. still nice to see the sea. Um, yeah, and that, that opens, I think, the 15th of December and closes New Year's Eve. And then on the 2nd of January, it's Tim time. And Tim I'm time. flying to Spain. I'm flying to nice. Spain for a month. And I'm just going to do nothing. I'm going to read books. That's the interesting thing, actually, when you said earlier about what I do to escape is mm. I don't really read books like when I'm working because I think my job, I'm reading all the time, either scripts or learning songs, whatever. But when I go on holiday, I will sit down and I will read some absolute trashy novels or autobiographies. Um, yeah, so that's so I do. I love I love just lying in the sun and just reading a book and looking at the sea. I love the sea. Yeah, me too. And seeing Sounds how different ideal. it is, yeah. Seeing how different it is from Hastings to Spain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still, yeah, but it's still, it's still, you know, it's still very pretty. Hastings and Saint Leonard's is still lovely, but um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird sense of, you know, because I have four weeks in Hastings and then four, four or five weeks in Spain, and just the difference seeing the sea every day, what mentally it does for you, is just really interesting. There's something. You know, and even like when we rehearse in the bar at the White Rock Theatre, sometimes 
the sea's like really rough and it's all brown and it's crashing and it's windy and it's so dramatic and it's just you know even and then the next day it will be as still as anything and they're both just as engaging Mm. as each other um but also the sea in spain you know opening you know the window on a on the morning and onto the balcony i'm just like oh god it's so beautiful <laughs> so beautiful and even january you know it's not mm-hmm. it's like about 18 it's probably what it is now in this bizarre weather we're having here in october yeah at the minute <laughs> i am um, friend of mine's just moved to hastings actually for a year they're doing a oh, really? house swap so I will. I, I need to go and visit them. So I'll see if I can coincide with coming to uh, to see the Panto. Well, do I'll be the one in the frock? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> definitely keeping an eye out for that. Okay, so bringing it back to Sondheim, I have some questions. Mm-hmm. First one, please don't hate me. Which is your favorite show? And then, do you have a favorite song? My favorite Sondheim show, I think, would have to be Into the Woods. Good choice. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, I think it's probably Into the Woods and then probably Sunday and Sweeney a close second mm-hmm. following up behind. But there's just, yeah, I think it's it's always been Into the Woods. I think it's because it's a sense of escapism, fairy tale, and then, you know, being responsible for your actions, listening. Yep. Yeah. Learning. It's a brilliant show. Taking responsibility for your actions what you do you know the little thing that you might do can have a massive effect on someone else um yeah and i think last midnight is a stunning song i mean like i said before bernadette peters singing that just yeah yeah ah, fabulous although Meryl Streep I mean, does a really good job too <laughs> yeah and it's interesting isn't it because you know obviously sadly angela lansby passed away recently and she mm. was you know was the original the first mm. the first mrs love it but you know, I think my favourite Mrs. Lovett I've seen has probably been Sally Ann Triplett. She did, did it in the that? in New York. She did the production that was at Tooting, the one that they did in Tooting that went into the West End and then they did it at the Barrow Theatre in New York. Mm. And um, when I was there working in 2018, I messaged Sally and said, I'd really like to come and see the show. And she said, I'll come, you know, I'll get you a seat. And she was absolutely sensational. Um, and of course, you know, Imelda Staunton has done a lot of Sundown work as well. It's interesting yeah. how much, how sort of Imelda has sort of followed a little bit in Julia McKenzie's footsteps mm. of role she's played as well. Um, yeah, I love... I mean, there's so many, isn't there? I'd love yeah. to see Jenna Russell play uh, Mrs. Lovett. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do we manifest um, that? Mm. <laughs> Make it happen, guys. Our collective <laughs> brain and power. Hannah, Hannah Waddingham as the witch in the Regent's Park production of Into the Woods was stunning. Mm. Did you when you think about all these divas, yeah. you just go, oh my God, they're all just so Yeah, great. amazing. Did you make it across to New York to see the production that's on Broadway of Into the Woods? <gasps> I did. <gasps> I'm so I did, jealous. actually. Yeah, I did. No, I, um, I saw the production at the Theatre Old Bath on the Saturday, mm-hmm. Bank Holiday Weekend, August Bank Holiday Weekend, and then the following Thursday, I saw the production in New York. And what was really interesting was the Theatre Old Bath production, it was all right. Um, I thought that they threw, they've obviously thrown a lot of money of it and gone for much of a visual impact of the show. 
and that's fine. But I thought because of that, a lot of things and a lot of subtlety was lost. Mm. What was fascinating about the New York production is it appeared that a lot of people watching the show was their first time ever of seeing a Sondheim show. And all they had on the stage was the orchestra and a couple of flying trees. So therefore you listened so much more to the text and the laughter it was getting was much greater than the production at the Theatre Royal Bath. Mm. And I found that really fascinating of actually going, you don't have to do a lot if the text is strong and the story is there and the storytelling is clear, then, you know, you don't have to polish anything to make it work. If that yeah. makes sense. Oh, completely. Um, because you I know, mean, when you think about Into the Woods, like they're in the woods and it's dark and woodsy most of the time. So yeah. like it is incredibly stripped back. You don't yeah. need to do very much. Like even the movie, there's not yeah. that much going on. Um, no. But it was, yeah. it was fascinating being in that environment and sitting mm. with an audience that I would say 75% of that audience didn't know the story. Yeah. Cause you know, you can hear people talk, you know, yeah, you know, and, and I remember they were like, there because was... Sarah Bareilles and Gavin Creel yes. and Philip Asu were yeah. all in it, which is, I mean, why I'm jealous as anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, because that would have been them. amazing. Yeah, yeah, and so many other amazing people in it. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. it was one of that thing was when it was announced it was going back to Broadway, and I looked at the dates and I was like, damn, I'm going on you know 30th of August, and it's going to close. It closes like the weekend before the 19th of August, and I was gutted. And then when they announced the extension with all that original cast, I was like, there she is, booking a ticket, booking a ticket, <laughs> going to spend the money, going to spend the dollar, you know. Because <laughs> yep. the other side, I, I really want to see it. I really wanted to see, it. and also to see Into the Woods on Broadway. Yeah, you know, I've I've got a postcard of when it was at the Mar- Martin Beck theatre and they had the big giant leg hanging yeah. outside of the theatre and cool. apparently when they did the revival in 2002 they had the leg but they were trying to get the leg for this production but they can't find the leg oh no <laughs> it was this massive you... story so oh, they man. don't know where the leg has gone how do you lose a giant leg i, mean... I know i know because it was iconic <laughs> yeah some prop master somewhere is yeah yeah going oh crap yeah <laughs> they wanted it <laughs> they wanted yeah. it back yeah crazy um uh, who was your what was your favorite bit of um well other favorite bit of the broadway production um i mean all of it really the cow was um, the cow was amazing <laughs> um yeah i mean it was just yeah, it just it it was just also really engaging, and you know, having seen it loads of times, having been in it, you know, it was just I I just I was just enthralled. Really, it was just it was just brilliant. It was just like it was just easy. It was easy. It was like putting on a favorite coat or favorite jumper, you know, very cool, and just and listen to it. Where the one in Bath, I was just I was like, oh, what 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 what. what? Why have they changed that? And they changed, they changed the whole plot that, you know, in the end of Act Two, that the baker, the mysterious man wasn't the baker's dad. Why would you change the, oh, change the I know, and you go, why have you done, why have you done that? That makes no sense at all. Yep. You know, that is the whole point of the story and you've just, you know, 
Yeah. So <sighs> some people. And I had I had friends I had friends in it, you know, who were brilliant. Mm. Um, and it, it's not taking away from any of the performances at all because everyone was was great in it. But it just I think they just tried too hard or tried to do something to it that didn't need fixing, or unless he didn't understand it, or I don't know. I mm. don't know. Interesting. And it's, it's, you know, it's supposed to be coming to the West End. So after this interview, I probably won't be asked to go and see it. <laughs> if you'd like to do a, rev, a, a revisionist uh, version of what we just talked about, that's fine. We can do a, a Polish shift. It's fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's all right. Um, so I wanted to talk about Imelda briefly because I've been really lucky. I saw Gypsy and I saw Follies um, mm-hmm. with her in both. And oh my God, in Gypsy, she like ripped my heart out of my chest, mm-hmm. stomped it into the ground and then threw it back at me. Yeah, and yeah. then, yeah, just, oh God, she's just amazing. And I didn't, I knew the story of Gypsy already. Um, but I didn't know really what Follies was about. And that was just spectacular as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So yeah. Imelda, just it, it, it was really interesting because you know follies when obviously that was the first sondime i saw mm-hmm. but then when it was at the national there was two places where i cried in the show mm-hmm. that i didn't think i would cry and that was the end of beautiful girls when they all mm-hmm. came down the stairs and mm-hmm. i was like oh my god why am i crying this is a song he's not even you know an emotional number as in the context of the show the narrative of the show but I just burst into tears and then also one more kiss I was like blubbing again I was like what's going on I'm like I think I was 43 then I'm like a 43 year old man and I'm crying (laughs) you know at this point in the show yeah Mm. which is not the point where I thought I would cry I thought I'd cry in Buddy's eyes or too many mornings or you know yeah I've listened to the um soundtrack version with Melda Sun singing Losing My Mind and I remember mm. it came on to a random Spotify playlist because um, my Spotify is a disaster zone frankly um, <laughs> it just came on and I didn't recognise it because it was the first time I heard it this is a few months back <clears throat> and um, it was just so impactful and the way that she was delivering delivering mm. the song and you just feel the absolute um, devastation in her voice. Um, and I think it's what you said earlier, Tim, about how you can come back to songs um, at different points of your life and have different meanings. And I think I was listening to it and thinking about issues I've had in the past with uh, sort of relationships and stuff that was going on at the time for me. And I just found myself just being very um, mm. over, overcome by it. So I just the ability to reach in and find that within the lyrics and deliver that performance is just something that really stuck mm. with me. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah. That's what, that's why, you know, his writing is so special really. And it's, it's, it's honesty and it's connection mm. and it's honesty, vulnerability. Yeah. It's acceptance. It's awareness. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, you know, doing the diva show it, it, before each sort of song starts, I have to really sort of, you know, really place myself in that moment. Yeah. Because you can't, you know, you can't, yeah, you just have to really, and, and um, I do what more do I need 
which is quite an upbeat song, which is always, you know, sort of in the in the in the position the show always gets like a massive round of applause and a cheer because it's such a high energy number and builds, you know, the build of it is, you know, as the song goes. And it's not done a lot as well, which is really interesting. But then, you know, um, the th- three times ago when we did it, yeah, we put in the venue was like, oh, could you do, could you do a two act? Could you put an interval in it? And we were like, oh my God, that's three, that's three, that's three or four new Sondheim songs. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know about you two, but when you sort of uh, go to do perform a new song, it, it's always like that nervous thing of going, just get through it. Remember the words, don't put me to the furniture, sing mm. the right notes, hope everything will come out. And I decided to do these three new songs at the top of Act Two. <laughs> so rather than you know doing them first and getting getting them out of the way, it was like, oh no, we got through Act One, and then both me and Aaron were like, oh here, here we go, three new songs back to back, never done before. Here we go, it'll be fine. Who, and we who did, did the set list? Oh, it was me. It was me. Great. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I did that. I take responsibility. Who chose that one? Yeah, it was me. Yeah. Do you um, um, have a favorite? moment from the divas show like what what would be your favorite bit that well, you will always keep in that show no matter how many incarnations you have i'd probably say sunday in the park with george and yeah. i mean there's there's loads of little moments um yeah uh, everybody loves louis is a great one as well last midnight you know i love chicken beans i, I do check beans out and little jelly beans audience yeah. participation of course audience like participation that. yeah um but then you know we we found a lovely new moment in sooner or later that we put in which again which he wrote for dick tracy mm. um which you know we just segue from one song and that the the chord structure at the beginning is just it's just beautiful and also, where you know, it, it sort of goes into a, a lower part of my register as well, which I don't really sing very much in, um, which is quite interesting. Do you do Rose's turn? It's on the list. Is it? Yeah. I think I, I actually... I read yeah. somewhere that it's like the hardest solo yeah. ever. Um, and I think it's because of... I mean, that's the song where Imelda stomped yeah. on my heart, right? And yeah. the... All of that, all of the evilness of her character in Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> she took yeah. that like and turned it into rage um, yeah. and sang with that. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> it was actually, the, yeah. the other Thursday, actually, Overtures, when I worked, we did do Rose's turn. But the right. one the one that I'd really like to have a crack at, which I think is, is going to be on the list, is The Miller's Son from A Little Night Music. Mm. I saw that too ages and ages ago and didn't really know anything about it. And just, I just have this overwhelming feeling of the thing that stuck with me from seeing it is that I just was in awe. Yeah. <laughs> just overwhelmed with it when I was watching it. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And sending the clowns is just, yeah. it's such a simple melody, but like, yeah. So impactful. And and also, isn't it nice and uh, topical that the Labour Party have chosen to reference it in their um, <laughs> political campaign? Who knew? Who knew? It, se- yep. it seems perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Um, I have one last Sondheim's question for you. Uh, we've been mentioning some really fabulous women who have played Sondheim characters. Who is your favourite amongst all of the powerhouses, do you think? Oh. 
that is a toughie. Mm. Probably would be Bernadette Peters, really. Hard to beat. Mm. Interesting story about Bernadette. So recently um, I reconnected with the American director called John Sheehan, who directed me into the woods when I was at Mountview. And uh, we went out uh, to see a musical at the Irish Rep Theatre in New York called The Butcher's Boy. And we went for a drink afterwards. And he used to be one of Sondheim's right-hand people. Wow. So he told me a story about Into the Woods and Bernadette Peters. And originally when the show was being tried out of town, um, it wasn't her. And James Lapine at that point was a relatively new in the industry and hadn't really done much. And the person that was playing the whip was quite rude to James Lapine and was being late and being a bit deverish with questions and everything. And basically, um, this actress was late for rehearsals and James Lapine said, if you're late again, we'll have to let you go. And she was like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you're just whatever. Anyway, the next day she was late and they sacked her. And then the understudy for that part at that time was Ellen Green, who was Audrey in yeah, that shop of, of horrors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was the understudy. So she stepped up, but she said she didn't really want to do it. And then um, the following weekend, Sondheim was at his, wherever his country house was, and Bernadette Peters lived a couple of doors down. Bernadette was around having a cup of tea, and Sondheim said, oh, we still can't find the witch. And uh, Bernadette said, oh, let me have a look at it. And that's how Bernadette got the part. Amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, she will forever... What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, she will forever be Lily St. Regis for me from Annie in yeah. the 1982 yeah. movie because that's when I first yeah. it didn't even connect to me that she was that character um, yeah, yeah. until I was older and rewatched Annie for the first time in forever. And I was like, oh my God, Carol Burnett. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Benedict Peters, uh, Tim Curry. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oh, the musical royalty going on right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So but she's just amazing as um, the witch as well. That yeah. her version of the last midnight is my favorite. Absolutely. Talking about Bernadette Peters. Um, I'm sure you've seen the Sondheim 90th birthday, which was in lockdown and you had ladies who lunch and it was Bernadette Peters, Meryl Streep, Audrey McDonald, and who was the fourth? I'm Christine, just Baranski. Christine Baranski. Christine Baranski. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. Um, what a lineup that was. And a mm. perfect rendition of yeah. that in, in dressing gowns and just drinking cocktails or whatever time it was. It was perfect. <laughs> and, and Ladies Who Lunch, again, you know, it's just such a a glorious song. Mm-hmm. You know, all the different twists and emotions in that song as well. Mm, absolutely. You know? Just how it just builds and builds and builds to the end. And uh, the version I always stick on is the Patti LuPone one. It's just like she's just... There's so much volume going on at the Yeah, end. yeah. And uh and little defiance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I love it. And I've I've got a little bit of an anecdote from that in that I know someone since seeing it in twenty nineteen who was basically playing the waiter and he didn't realise that Patty the Pone was going to be in the production. Suddenly she was there and he was like, Oh my god. I have to I have to mm. hand her a drink at one point. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do this. And apparently she was like, okay, honey, it's really easy. All you need to do is just appear at my right shoulder when I start that line and just make sure the drink is at shoulder height and I will get it. He was like, oh, Jesus, okay, right. So he sort of walks up and sort of delivers it. He's like, okay, perfect. Just do that every single time and we won't have a problem. It's like, 
Oh, great. And then just sort of collapse into the ground. So I think he's never quite been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame I, um, him. <laughs> yeah. I went to the uh, the press launch of company at Joe Allen's and I interviewed Patty. Oh, wow. Which was which was amazing. And at the end of the interview, I said, oh, um, Patty, I said, I'm, I'm about to appear in, a, I'm doing a production of Into the Woods and we're about to appear. And she was like, who are you playing? Jack? <laughs> 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 Well, I'm glad that one yeah. of us tried to get uh, close to the to the accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, thanks, Paddy. Thank you. I have one last question before we let you go, um, Tim. And it's something we ask quite a few of our guests, um, particularly those who sort of work in, in the industry. And um, ultimately, it's what piece of advice would you give to someone starting out their career? Or what advice would you give, you know, 18-year-old Tim uh, that you've learn from your experiences now mm. that is a really good question i think if i met myself when i was 18 i'd probably say breathe listen learn from i mean I, i've always done this in my career anyway but learn from other people and be kind and do your job and that's probably it really it's a pretty good mantra definitely very wise yeah, you're not and quite be- as hard on your 18 year old self as some of our of, of our guests have been. <laughs> uh, I'd probably say is also get your back whack sooner than you <laughs> did. Yeah, uh, funny. <laughs> funny. <laughs> I think that's a excellent bit of dualism there. Um, yeah, the <laughs> no, but it's always I, I find it always interesting, you know, like because I think you know you, but the industry has changed so much you know what was yeah but I I think just be just breathe and don't be too hard on yourself and I think one thing that you know is is really important as as I've gotten older is you know we all have something different to offer the industry we're all unique and we're all our own our own beings and not too you know yeah not too try to be something that you're not or just accept what what you are given and if that makes sense definitely i think there's a maybe less so with sondheim compared to other musical theater that i'm aware of there's probably the feeling that oh i can't possibly go for that role because i'm not x y and z um whereas i think a lot of people who are casting for roles will have a certain list of criteria, but they'll also see, you know, an individuality or creative output that will work in a way. And I think a lot of people when they're younger, um, not speaking from any particular experience, but maybe it, it, it goes to other roles as well that you think you have to be this but it actually turns out you just need to be you and bring what you need to. And if if you're not fit, then you are then, and don't get absolutely on it. Absolutely, that's exactly it. We all we all are unique and we're all different. And that's I think the sooner you remember that, the easier it is. Sometimes it comes with a little bit of a painful learning of that, um, for, for all of us. But um, yeah, hopefully if we talk more about it, it might be a little bit less painful yeah. for people to you know to do that. You can't be six foot two if you're only five eight. 
That is true. Yep. I've been really trying, but you know. Yeah, me too. That's why I wear heels. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I always wanted to be 5'10 and I can't wear heels. So I'm just forever disappointed, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least one of the three of us is wearing heels and yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe it wasn't the one we were expecting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Tim, um, we've kept you on for a little bit longer than anticipated. It's been That's all right. a, a lot it's of been fun. It's been brilliant. Uh, and really Thank you so much for inviting me on. Pleasure. Um, I hope everyone stays safe. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Um, so, yeah, thank you again. All right. Thank all right. So Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 That was a fabulous hour and a half that we got to spend with Tim MacArthur talking all things Sondheim. I can't wait to meet Tim at Overtures now at some point. I'm sure Ollie will drag me on a night where Tim will be there. It's a vibe. And I will request all the Sondheim songs. That will go down just great. Yeah. We had that the other week, actually. Um, Very cool. Not not with Tim, but um, Sondheim is definitely a safe space for Sondheim as much as it is for Disney or anything else. Mm-hmm. exactly so yeah and i'm glad that we agreed about bernadette peters and he had a really great story about mm. bernadette peters and into the woods so i hope you guys yeah. enjoyed that one i did and before we talk about the next episode ollie let's say merry christmas to everybody because oh my god it's christmas uh, yeah i i don't know what's wrong with me and we've spoken about this you know off air as it were um I don't know why, but it's like just before Christmas Eve. And I think there's something about doing Christmas songs since like like September, September. <laughs> that has sort of like nullified my, not so much my Christmas, Christmas cheer, but just I kind of, Christmas has been this somewhat nebulous down the road thing. And now suddenly it's like a sharp turn in the bend in the road and Christmas is, is right there. Um, Luckily, I've actually kind of sorted out, you know, presents and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not in some crazy rush. So, yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. New Year's is fast approaching as well. But don't worry, we you will hear from us one more time in 2022. Uh, and we've got some excellent stuff coming up in that episode. We have Meet the Team because we have new team people to talk to. Um, and we also have a lovely interview with one of our members who's gone off to do some exciting stuff on the high seas and uh, may may see us again in 2023. But yeah, it's a little bit of a recap of the year and some of your sort of highlights of the term and highlights of the year. So look forward to that. Yes. Yeah. So let's just finish off with a Merry Christmas, Ali. Merry Christmas, Katie. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, la, 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 la. throw that in for some of our disney people (laughs) that was all fine up until literally that bit depending on how silly i'm feeling i might leave bloopers in who knows i mean who knows we haven't had bloopers in a while (laughs) i think people like them people like where where, where are the bloopers it's like that's the question i wanted to hear yep yep there weren't any with tim otherwise i would have separated them out but nope yeah consummate pride. we were just uh yeah but we were not making bloopers either <laughs> no i refuse to believe it <laughs> we were just coughing it was fine <laughs> oh, God, yeah because we were just ill the entire time <laughs> no i'm putting my editorial foot down <laughs> there we go jobs are good mm.
Oh man, I'm going to have to do some serious serious editing of that last section because I lost bit. it, you lost it, and it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be, it I'm won't still take recording. You long, oh my God, I'm still recording. Thank you.